Mo, will you tell me a story? This question comes to me nearly every day. Anytime there is a patch of quiet in the car, anytime there's a pause in conversation, my preschool-age daughter asks me, Mama, will you tell me a story? At first, I made up fantasy stories. Fairies, talking dogs, castles. But then the requests got more specific. Will you tell me a scary story with ghosts in it? Will you tell me a story about when I was a baby? And over the last few months, I have been getting a new, very specific special request. Mama, will you tell me a story about a time when you got hurt? My child is requesting stories of physical injury. <laughs> Many of them. She even has her favorites. <laughs> Apparently, among my greatest hits are the time when my dad decided he could keep an eye on my toddler self while also mowing the lawn, he looked up to track my movements, and he couldn't find me anywhere, and then realized that I'd fallen off the edge of a retaining wall. I was fine. There's the time when I went downhill on, for the very first time on my new grown-up bicycle, the kind where you brake with your hands instead of backpedaling with your feet. And I lost control, I wiped out in front of the neighbor boy's house, and he was a popular neighbor boy. And I walked back to my house with bloody knees. There's also the time I fell down the front stairs holding my ceramic Hello Kitty piggy bank. And this story has a special illustration with it in the form of a little bump of a scar on my pinky finger. Over and over, I am honoring these requests for stories of sustaining injury. These stories that say, I have been hurt, I have come through it, and I'm okay now. I think that part of the reason that she is asking for this is that she is starting to sense the open secret. The open secret is the way that Sufi mystic Jalaluddin Rumi describes the suffering and hardship that we all experience, but nobody talks about. The open secret is that secret that we hold back every time someone asks, how are you? And we say, I'm fine. How's the family? Wonderful. How's life? Great. We do this all the time. We keep this open secret. And then we end up walking away from these exchanges, often thinking, how does that person have it all together? Why does their relationship work so well? Why does my life feel so messy? What is wrong with me? In her book, Broken Open, Writer Elizabeth Lesser notes that the irony of hiding the dark side of our humanness is that it's not really a secret at all. 
How can it be a secret when so many others are safeguarding the same kinds of stories and experiences? Our lives are all different, but each of us participates in that open secret in the same kind of way, in similar ways. The stories that we tell matter. And something that anchors me in this community is that we tell the stories of our open secrets all the time. We come together on Sunday mornings, we come together in circles grounded in deep listening, or one-on-one -on -one with a pastoral care associate during a time of crisis, and we share our stories and we remember that we are not alone. We are connected to so many people who have gone before and come out the other side transformed, their souls deepened in the crucible of living. I see this crucible in the ancient Persian story of the Simurg, as retold by Jorge Luis Borges in the Book of Imaginary Things. The Simurg is a benevolent, mythical, flying creature, kind of like a griffin or a phoenix in that line of mythology. The Simurg is this immortal bird that nests in the branches up on the tree of knowledge in a faraway land. And one day, a bunch of other birds learned that the Simurg had dropped one of his splendid feathers and these birds, they had been living in anarchy. They were tired of it. These birds were tired of the chaos, tired of the struggle, tired of feeling confused. They needed the wisdom and guidance of a great leader. So they decided they needed to venture off and find the Simurg. And they knew that this journey would be long and difficult since the great benevolent bird's castle was located way out in a distant mountain range that ringed all the way around the earth. But this group of birds decided to head off to find the Seamorg, but from the very beginning, a lot of them lost heart. The nightingale bailed right away. He couldn't bear to be apart from his beloved rose. The parrot wanted to go right back into the cage that he'd lived in his whole life. The partridge could not do without the comfort of her home in the hills. The heron couldn't stand being away from the marsh. And the owl couldn't stand being away from her ruins. But finally, a certain number of them set out on this perilous venture. They crossed seven valleys, seven seas. And the next to the last sea was named Bewilderment. And the very last one was named Annihilation. Many of the original bird pilgrims deserted, and the journey took a deep toll on the rest of the travelers. They were exhausted, they were depleted, and at the end of this arduous journey, only 30 birds were left. I'm gonna stop here because this is the middle of the story. What a deeply uncomfortable place 
being in the middle of a story. A story with a beginning, a middle, and an end is satisfying. The complete arc of the story easily avails itself to meaning making, to helpful lessons for next time, to closure. But being in the middle of a story, living in the middle of a story, can be disorienting at best and deeply distressing at worst. Especially when we find ourselves in the middle of a story that scares us. A story in which we have lost our footing on the very surface of the planet, as Patsy described to us earlier. Especially when we find ourselves in the midst of a low-hanging fog of a story, looming, encroaching, threatening. This is when holding your open secret feels both excruciating and absurd. In the middle of a story, a scary story, we are rarely fine. And we know, we all know up here, that the gifts that come out of living through whatever story that we are in the middle of, the wisdom, the growth, the new opportunities, those are very real. But it's also true that despite whatever silver lining or personal growth may come out of it, navigating your way through your story, through the shadows of the unknown, Navigating your way through suffering is so incredibly hard. And if you were given a choice, you would probably drop everything to travel back in time and to undo the thing, undo those circumstances, make totally different choices. Whatever it is, you would gladly fly back there in a heartbeat and trade in whatever wisdom or compassion, whatever it is that you would have gained just to hold your child again, just to make the pain stop, just to undo that awful thing that happened. And yet the reality is that you are here in this life, in the flow of change, and in this stream of life, there is room for raging, for weeping, for cursing those cruel waters that have been tossing you against the rocks, while so many oblivious others seem to be gently escorted to their next destination of choice. But the waters of change are real, and life will never be as it once was. We can't unknow a truth that has come to us in full force. Whether it's a devastating diagnosis, the dissolution of a core relationship, or the sick truth of systemic injustice and fear-mongering in our country. And while so much is outside of our control, we still have choices. We still have a hand in writing the next chapter. And we can choose 
whether we are going to expend all of our energy swimming against the currents of our lives, trying to get back to the past that is gone, a past comfort, a past ease, or even a past ignorance. We can choose whether we are going to give up, to go limp, and let the current pull us under, or whether we are going to let ourselves move with the flow of our lives, feeling its intensity, and looking for its invitations. Elizabeth Lesser writes, if we go with the river, the energy of a thousand mountain streams will be with us, filling our hearts with courage. If we resist the river, we will feel rankled as we tread water stuck in place. As a community of faith, we believe that deep in our hearts, we have access to a guiding wisdom, a divine spark that invites us to find a way to move together with the current of love and integrity inviting us into a wholeness that has a new shape. And this asks of us a certain kind of trust that allows us to move into the shadows of the unknown, of the future. This is a scary, unsettling place. A trust that we can reach out, that we can be guided by each other, by the stories, presence, and truth-telling of the people in our world and of that still, small voice inside us. So in this spirit of deep trusting, let's return to the core group of just 30 birds in the middle of their story to find the Seamorg. It's incredible to me how this collection of beings that were just strangers to each other in the beginning trusted each other to embark on a transforming, hopeful journey. And it reminds me of a certain church I know. <laughs> the journey of these 30 birds had been so long and so difficult it took them across seven valleys, across seas named bewilderment and annihilation. These birds suffered, but they kept moving. And finally, they reached the great peak that the great Seamurg bird was said to live upon. And so the birds land. They are prepared to behold their king to receive their answers, to rest into an end of the chaos. But there on that mountain peak, there was no great mythical bird. It was just them on that peak. It was just 30 birds. And this is because they are the Seamurg. This is because it turns out that the word Seamurg means 30 birds. (laughs) 
The Simurg is each of them and all of them. As we move through our stories with open hearts, moving through pain, through fear, through disorientation, as we pass through the crucible of living, there will come a time when we will stop to face ourselves and realize that we have arrived in a new place, that the tools for the next steps are within us, among us as a collective, and that we are now equipped in ways that we weren't in the beginning, that we are stronger. Our broken hearts have broken us open and shaped us. And we would have never signed up for this, but it is also an experience of deep transformation and grace. When we find ourselves in the middle of a story, even if we have no idea what our final destination looks like, and we can't possibly imagine anything but an outside solution to fix it, and we keep telling ourselves that we just need to find the right key to put in the lock, the right savior to fix it all, the magical Seamurg on the mountain. Another open secret is that so often, if we can stay present to the whole range of what's moving, if we can let our hearts break open as we venture further into the shadow land of each passing day. If we share our stories and our strength with each other, if we can be vulnerable, that open secret is that what we are looking for lies within us. The courage, the wisdom, and the strength can be uncovered. So how do we hold out through the journey, through the middle of the story? And this is the faith piece. This is the grace piece, the hope piece. In the words of Rebecca Solnit, hope is not a door, but a sense that there might be a door at some point. Some way out of the problems of the present moment, even before that way is found and followed. This kind of hope is a trusting kind of hope. It was the hope that set those birds aloft. It is hope that brings us to church each Sunday. It is the audacious hope that topples demagoguery, fear-mongering, and lies. Hope is not a door, but a sense that there might be a door at some point. We reconnect with this faithful hope in the stories we tell and retell, stories of strength and courage, of injury and recovery, tears in the balcony and the embrace of someone who sees and cares. We do this for each other in this faith community because we are not built to do this work in isolation. We do this through the spiritual practice of Sunday morning worship, through spiritual practices in small groups, anytime we gather to listen deeply to each other's experiences and truths. This has become part of our culture here. 
We support each other in cultivating our own daily spiritual practices, like Patsy mentioned earlier. Practices that help us to feel what we need to feel, to take it all in. We do this for each other every time someone from our pastoral care team journeys with someone experiencing crisis or transition, offering deep listening and compassionate support. And if this is something that would support you right now in the middle of the story that you are in, please talk to me after the service or talk to any one of our pastoral care team members that are wearing uh, a red ribbon on their name tag. Through the stories we tell and the stories we witness, we help each other to look for the unexpected gifts, to look for the invitations and to love, to look for a faithful hope that brings us back to the words of the poet. The thing is to love life, to love it even when you have no stomach for it. And everything you have held dear crumbles like burnt paper in your hands, your throat filled with the silt of it. You think, how can a body withstand this? Then you hold life like a face between your palms, a plain face, no charming smile, no violet eyes, and you say, yes, I will take you I will love you again. Over 200 years ago, Ludwig van Beethoven composed the music we're hearing this morning. Music carefully selected and beautifully played by our pianist, Jared Wenland. This gesture of taking life into the hands and saying, yes, I will take you, I will love you again, was a core gesture in Beethoven's life, which was marked by two significant traumas, the abuse and neglect that he suffered as a child, and the experience of being a composer who completely lost his hearing in his 30s. Through his music, Beethoven let himself be broken open again and again, saying yes to life. So I invite you to open yourself to this next piece of music as a meditation on navigating your way through the middle of a difficult story. A meditation on the kind of faithful hope that isn't a door exactly, but the sense that there might be a door at some point a door that opens into loving life once again. <laughs> 